Hello and welcome to episode one of the History of Yugoslav Football podcast, The Foundations of a Nation. The idea of a pan-South Slavic nation came into being in the 19th century, but would not be realised until after World War I. The 20th century would be a turbulent one for the region, for reasons that are established in the 19th. In this episode, we're going to go through what would become Yugoslavia on a region-by-region basis to establish just where each region sat on the entry of football into Yugoslavia in 1873, as we go on a rapid tour through a few hundred years of history. Going north to south, we start with Slovenia. At around the same time that Britain was brought into the Roman Empire, the Noricum Kingdom became part of the empire also, which meant that all of modern-day Slovenia was part of the empire. Towns and cities such as Selje, Putoi, Donovo, and even Ljubljana itself were founded at this time. 500 years later, Slavs and Avars would move into the region, and there would be quarrelling and raiding between the two tribes, until the first short-lived Slavic nation was put together by Samo a merchant who led multiple victories of Slavic tribes over the Avars until he was eventually elected as king. The region itself would pass between empires until finally settling under rule by the Habsburgs in the 13th century. Slovenia would, for a time, be the front line between Austria and the Ottoman Empire through much of the 15th and 16th centuries, until the threat was mainly ended with the defeat of the Ottomans in the Battle of Sisko in 1593. At around the same time, we see the first proper consolidation of Slovenian identity through the Reformation. Scholars such as Primoz Truba would preach and proselytise Protestantism, but of most importance would be his, fir- his production of the first Slovenian language books, Catechismus and Abecedarium, and would work and support Yuri Damatin in the production of the first Slovenian language Bible, while Adam Bohoric would formalise the alphabet and grammar that would be used as the base of the Slovenian language for the next quarter of a millennium. Put together, it brought together a Slovenian identity that lasted beyond the Counter-Reformation into a period of relative peace and prosperity right until we hit the 19th century. At this point, we see a few key developments. The Enlightenment period would see energy given to Slovenian literature and a romanticisation of the Slovenian identity, The occupation of the region by Napoleon would introduce new freedoms to the region and the exporting of nationalist ideas from other areas, the Illyrian movement, which was the first truly pan-Slavic political movement. All this would result in the formation of the United Slovenia Political Group in 1848, and while issues elsewhere in Austria-Hungary would mean that it would swiftly be suppressed, the idea of a greater Slovenia as a political entity would be a part of the national discourse from this point on and the Slovenian Empire will be put together between the regions in spite of their political fragmentation within the empire. Moving south to Croatia, and we saw a similar start. By the year 10 AD, what we now know as Croatia was absorbed into the Roman Empire as Pannonia and Dalmatia, before invasion by Avars and Croats on the fall of the empire. Unlike Slovenia, Croatia would have a prolonged period of independence lasting nearly two centuries, which would grow to incorporate almost all of modern-day Croatia and Bosnia and Herzegovina. Just as the kingdom reached its peak in the late 11th century, the line of heirs stopped, which led to the Hungarian king being invited in. Resistance followed, 
but the lack of an obvious leader soon forced the issue and peace was soon arranged with the Hungarian monarch Koloman, taking the Croatian crown. Conflict would continue as time went on, however, as Croatia was torn by Venetian interests wanting control of ports and the growth of the Ottoman Empire putting pressure onto the south. One exception to this was the city-state of Dubrovnik, which became independent in 1358 and remained so until 1808, when the Napoleonic Empire revoked its independence. Come the 16th century, Croatia too would become part of the Habsburg lands and would be the front line of conflict for some time, even seeing the region of Slavonia become part of the Ottoman Empire for a period. Gradually, over the following two centuries, the Ottomans would be driven out of Croatia and Austria and Hungary became the dominant influences. To counter that, Croatian nationalism revived during the Romantic period of the mid-19th century. In 1848, revolution spread through Hungary and Croatia, led by Josip Jelicic, who backed the Habsburgs in the ensuing War of Independence due to the fears of Hungarian influence, and because one of the Hungarian demands was to strip Croatia of many of the powers it enjoyed as part of the empire. Once the Hungarian War of Independence resulted in a Habsburg win, Croatia was punished in spite of its support of the status quo, with its autonomy removed until the late 1860s, while nationalism, pushed by figures such as Ante Starcevic, would continue to grow. Moving to Bosnia and Herzegovina, and much is similar to Croatia at the very beginning until after the end of the Roman Empire, when Bosnia came under the influence of the Byzantine Empire, and the front line of the conflict between Slavic tribes and the Empire. And then, once the tribes were dealt with, the Franks and the Byzantines. And then, once the Franks had gone, between Hungary and the Byzantines, and then between Hungary and Serbia. Bosnia, however, would be more or less independent given the nature of its terrain and distance from other regional sources of power between the 12th and 15th century, until the Ottomans came on the scene and took over. The region would change wildly in the next few centuries with a large increase in religious diversity due to immigration of Jews, the decline of Catholicism for Orthodoxy, and also conversions to Islam of the native population, raising it to the largest religious group in the region. As the Ottoman Empire grew, Bosnia stopped being a battleground, and it's at this time we start to see the establishment of major cities such as Sarajevo and Mostar. As the empire waned, however, Bosnia and Herzegovina became a battleground once more, as multiple issues brought the empire to its knees. Reformist agendas met with pushback from local lords, while the peasantry were unhappy due to overly onerous taxation. Multiple revolts happened in the middle of the 19th century, all leading up to the first round of wars that would happen in the region in advance of World War I. Moving across to Serbia, and Roman influence comes in in the time of Trajan, with the city of Sirmium even ascending to the role of being one of the capitals of the empire during the Tetrarchy, with 18 Roman empire emperors having lived in the city at one time or another. Like other areas, once Rome declined, Slavic tribes moved in. It would be fought over by tribes from Serbia and Bulgaria over the next few hundred years until coming under Byzantine control. Eventually, it would become independent and become what would be known as the Serbian Empire, which would stretch from Bosnia down to Greece without fighting a battle and simply sieging Byzantium out of the region under Stefan Dusan. It would swiftly be divided internally and having grown into the vacuum left by the crumbling Byzantine Empire, would swiftly find that they were thrown out of it by the surging Ottomans. One key part of understanding what we see in Serbia later is the mythology around the Battle of Kosovo in 1389, 
where around 30,000 Ottoman troops met a Serb force of around 24,000. In a brutal draw that saw the Serb army more or less destroyed and the Ottomans receive enough casualties to massively delay their progress along with the Sultan himself being killed. While ultimately not even a Pyrrhic victory, more a Pyrrhic draw, the day is a vital part of Serb national identity, representing the martyrdom of the nation for the faith, and is for many the foundation of Serb nationalism as a whole, and the foundation for actions taken against Kosovar Muslims. Under Ottoman rule, Serbia became a site of battles between Hungary and the Ottomans, and the Austrians and the Ottomans until we reached the 19th century and the double-pronged Serbian Revolution. The first phase of the revolution, the first phase of the revolution from 1804 onto Karajorje was a battle for full independence, initially supported by Russia. However, as this stage drew to a close, Serb insistence on independence resulted in Russia pulling support so they could focus on the other threat of their time, Napoleon. The Ottomans swiftly and brutally retook Serbia, with many sold into slavery or impaled. The manner of the reprisals led to the second stage of the revolution starting in 1815, and soon turned the tide resulting in Serbia gaining a version of independence within the Ottoman Empire in 1817, which they were able to consolidate across the following 70 years until full independence came in 1878. Part of what would be modern-day Serbia would remain with Austria-Hungary for the time being. For Kosovo, of course, their story is much the same as Serbia to a point. On the Serbian Revolution, Kosovo will remain part of the Ottoman Empire until we reach the Balkan Wars in the 20th century. Coastal Montenegro became part of the Roman Empire before the end of the 2nd century BC and fell to the Slavic tribes fairly late, lasting to the 7th century. They would organise into the region called Duklia, becoming a semi-independent Catholic state for most of the Middle Ages. By the time we reach the 16th century, Montenegro is divided in three between Venice, the Ottomans, and also an independent state of what amounted to a sort of tribal theocracy. This period, between 1516 and the 19th century, is most swiftly described as being Otto occasional Ottoman incursions repulsed by some incredible Montenegrin defences that eventually soured the Ottomans on bothering Montenegro at all. Montenegro was small enough that it was, for all intents and purposes, at a permanent state of war, and got quite good at it, while inventions such as printing were, punched, were pushed out. Even coming into the middle of the 19th century, where our footballing timeline starts, it was a land purely governed by necessity. Finally, North Macedonia, of course, has some fellow called Alexander the Great in its antiquity, and like many was taken over by Slavic tribes in the 7th century, coming into regular conflict with Byzantium and then Bulgaria and Serbia before becoming part of the Ottoman Empire in the 15th century, a state of affairs which remained more or less the same until we hit the 20th century. So there you have it, a couple of millennia of history wrapped up in double quick time. In the next episode, we move on to the beginnings of football, and, perhaps more to the point, what delays the spread of football, as the world doesn't make it easy for it to take hold. See you next time.